Today's reading for the lesson, for the sermon, comes from Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, follow along. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This morning, we're going to talk about the nature of the word of God. It's interesting that this section starts off with, for the word of God. And, and there is a lot of discussion, and what I want to do is tie together the fact that the Word of God can mean two things at once. And the writer of Hebrews does this sometimes with some of his phrases. When I use the expression, the Word of God, uh, probably the first thing that comes to my mind is the Bible, okay? But we need to also include another concept with it that we also tend to think of, especially if we're studying the Gospel of John. Who is called the Word in the Gospel of John? Jesus, remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so whatever things were made that were made without him were not made, he said, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about, okay? So I want to start off by uh, illustrating for you my own journey with the Bible, okay? And then I want that setting to lay the groundwork for highlighting some crucial, important, non-negotiable, we should never forget stuff about Scripture, okay? This Bible that I'm holding in my hand was given to me, and I'm looking here just to make sure I get the date right. It was given to me 61 years ago on my ninth birthday, and I still got it. Now, almost falling apart. <laughs> it, uh, it looks like about the way I feel is 68. It's been used. Um, I remember when I got this for my birthday, it was in a box. I opened the box up, pulled this new Bible out. And I remember opening up, just as clear as I'm standing here, I remember opening up to John chapter 1, and I read, sitting here, I, I was sitting in the chair in the living room, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And at nine years old, I almost felt like I was holding something that got dropped in my lap out of heaven. It almost had a magical feel to it. <laughs> it was like, wow. So, in my early years, this Bible had some kind of special feel to it that I couldn't put my finger on as a young person. Then as I got a little bit older, the Bible became 
for me a book of quotations where I can prove other people wrong. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's a good place to be, but that's where I was, and that's how I use the Bible. And it almost became for me, too, just an encyclopedia of good quotations. I left home, went off to school, and my mother made a comment about me that ran so deep to my own self-understanding. It just rang in my ears the rest of my life. She said, you know, you know what your problem is? Of course, when your mom says, you know what, you know what your problem is, you're like, okay, mom, what are you going to tell me? She said, you ask too many questions. <laughs> your problem is you don't accept, you ask too many questions. Well, it was that deep driving desire to know that I began, and I did, I learned the Greek New Testament, I learned the Hebrew Old Testament, then I moved to looking at all of the history, the background of the Bible, all that was fascinating to me, and I thought that's what the Bible was intended for, it was a book to be studied, and studied seriously, well, I've come to a place in my life where I'm almost back to where I started at age nine that this book has a feeling that it has been plucked in my lap from heaven and that it is God's way of telling me two things, who I am and how I'm loved and what my mission is here on earth while I'm looking for my destiny to be with him forever. The Bible has a special meaning. And this morning's lesson from Hebrews 4 I want to highlight four things that when it comes to the Word of God, and I'm going to use this expression over and over, and you'll notice in this passage, he doesn't use the word scripture. And I think it's by its own purpose, because it is designed by the writer of the book of Hebrews to incorporate two things at once. That is the written word of God that reveals the will of God, but also the living word of God, Jesus, such that who Jesus is and what he's revealed to us by the Spirit and what God desires, all of that is interwoven with Scripture. Now, let me tell you why this is important. There's a Christian writer uh, that wrote a book a couple of years ago. I've got it in my library. I love the title of the book. He's, he goes through the New Testament and wrestles with the nature of Scripture. Guess what the title of the book was? The Book That Still Breathes. <laughs> that was his title of working with the nature of Scripture. The Book That Still Breathes. The Word of God is alive, and it's active. And that's what the writer says. So let's dive into this, because I think how, and this is so important, how we take the nature of Scripture says everything. Scripture is the lens through which we interpret the world. We as Christians are looking through the glasses of Scripture, okay? And it's through the glasses of Scripture that we interpret meaning of life. We interpret right and wrong. We think of our destiny. See, think of all the things that are dear to you. And frame your whole worldview, how you see the whole world. And it's all because you believe, and because you believe the scripture gives you the framework by which to see reality. Do you realize? And of course, I know you do. 
there are people that you probably know, and there are lots of people out in our society, they don't look at the world through Scripture. They don't have the Christian worldview. Their worldview is through themselves. <laughs> Everything revolves around them. They don't even believe in God. And it's, it's hard, it, it's hard for me, it's hard for me to get my mind around people that don't see the world that this is God's world, and that scripture is God's revelation. So let's look at what he says. First, the word of God is active and alive. Wow. See, revelation embodied, that's the word of God. And it begs the question then, if the word of God is living and active, what is Jesus for? What is Revelation for? What did Jesus do and what's he doing now? What does scripture supposed to do? When I open up my Bible, why do I open it up? When I open up my Bible, do I intend to meet God there? Uh, there, is a, there is a whole line of thinking in Christian thought, and, and, and it's expressed this way, it's not a long time. People will use the expression, meeting God in Scripture. Well, I kind of like that. You meet God. You meet Christ. You meet the Spirit when you open up your Bible. That's the way God designed it. And I need to get in my mind the common thread between Scripture and Jesus. Both are the ongoing revelation of God. The one is written, and the other was lived out in person by Jesus. So you've got the word written and then the word embodied. Easter's coming. It's Sunday, April 17th. Probably the latest I can ever remember Easter. April 17th, that's getting, that's past the halfway mark of April. I mean, that's really late for Easter. Think about how the resurrection of Jesus and the energizing power of God is behind this book we call the Bible. The word of God. If Jesus had never been raised from the dead, this would be a meaningless book. Not only is this book alive, but it's living. The word of God is active and living. So not only is it active, it is alive. And what's interesting, uh, the way the writer of the book of Hebrews writes this verse, it's not the way we write it in English. The first word, the first word, the way the writer writes it, is living. And here's how it literally is. Living is the active word of God. Living. And, and, and that's the way they would emphasize it. Today, if we want to emphasize something, we just kind of take a marker and underline in our Bible. Or we'll take the word and italicize it. But in the day of the writer of Hebrews, sometimes to emphasize something, you put that first word right at the very beginning of the sentence. Of course, it's not good English syntax for us. It doesn't, it doesn't read very well in English, but living is the word of God. And it's living in the present. It's not, notice that the writer doesn't say, one time the word of God was living. He didn't say that. The word of God is living. And even after Jesus' resurrection, and I, I had sort of forgotten this, but I went back to picked up in Matthew 27, 63, at the end of that long chapter. Even after Jesus' resurrection, some 
didn't believe that the resurrection happened, and they called Jesus a deceiver. We have to make a choice. The Jesus revealed in this scripture is either a lunatic, a liar, or a truth teller. And you have to make your choice. In Matthew 27, they said he was a deceiver or a liar. Jesus is alive. According to John 14, Jesus imparts this living water. The word of God is active and living. To stay alive, organisms need water. We as human beings need water. I was hiking with a couple of my buddies up in the uh, Smokies one day, and they were making fun of one other guy they hiked with all the time. They said, oh, my, that guy, he always he had to drink so much water, he couldn't stay up with us. Well, after a while, and I take a lot of water when I go hiking, I ran out of water. <laughs> and I had to sit down and I said, now, one of you guys have got to let me borrow your water. I am not going to make it back to the truck. We were still several miles away. And I mean, I was dry as dust. And I had used up all my water that was in my backpack. Well, then they started making fun of me. Like, oh, man, you're worse than this other guy that we knew about. <laughs> and, so, and I said, well, I need some water to keep on going. And then they said, well, and I said, well, if you, if you don't give me water, why don't you just roll me in the ditch and, and throw some leaves on me and just go on. And one of the guys, he looked at me just as plain face as he could. He goes, what makes you think we won't? <laughs> So they always gave me a hard time. But water, if you've ever been in a situation where you have needed water, you understand how precious it is, okay? So Jesus calls God in John 6, 57, his living father. Jesus calls God living father. And in Hebrews 7, 25, I love this passage. It emphasizes that Jesus is alive and well and living to make intercession for us. And I'm glad that scripture tells us about that in the book of Hebrews. The living word of God, Jesus, revealed to us through the living word of God, scripture, that he makes intercession for us. Remember I talked early in Bible class about having an intercessory prayer ministry. That's nothing new. Jesus has been doing that ever since he went back up to heaven and sat on the right hand of God. He's got this everyday, ongoing, intercessory ministry for each one of us. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but I think for me, it gives me a little bit of hope. You mean, Jesus cares enough about me that he's praying for me, interceding for me. So, first, this word of God is living and active. Number two, it penetrates. This word penetrating is only one time in all the New Testament. Now, what's an interesting study about the book of Hebrews, and it, it, would, take, it would take this side of the board and the other side of the board for you to do this. Do you realize there are 153 words in the book of Hebrews that don't occur anywhere else in the New Testament? Now, that's why some people say, well, Paul couldn't have written it because it's not his style. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, he's writing about a particular subject that demands certain vocabulary, okay? But there, and this is one of those words, penetrating. You're never going to find this anywhere else in the New Testament, only in the book of Hebrews, 
And it means something like passing through, going through, or piercing. In Exodus 26, 28, back in the Old Testament, this verb of penetrating describes a, a big, long, and I went back to read because it's kind of interesting, a big, long wooden structure, kind of like a wooden bar, that goes through and passes through the whole structure of the tabernacle and the other parts of it. So it's the idea of passing through something or penetrating. Now, I like this word because it really is handy in my woodshop. Uh, there are different kinds of stain that I love to put on wood and it penetrates the grain, goes down in and soaks in. I love the word piercing because nails and screws can pierce the wood and hold it in a certain way. But what really is interesting is the example he gives. It's the double-edged sword. Uh, this is probably the sword that, that was used in hand, bat, hand combat uh, in the ancient world. It was double-edged. Uh, having a double-edged sword, it cuts both going and coming. I mean, you know, it's designed to really cut. And notice what this sharp sword can do. Divide into, divide into the soul and the spirit. And it's an emphatic declaration of an action that only God can perform. Because guess what? God created the soul and spirit and put it together, and man became a living soul. Well, only God and Christ and the spirit, and through scripture, can pierce that asunder, the dividing of the soul and spirit. This means, probably, that the power and the pain of the living word of God and the sword of God explains why a lot of people don't want to read scripture. It's too painful. It's a kind of ongoing spiritual surgery. Yes, it's painful, but it's life-changing. When we go to scripture, sometimes it needs to, and it has to be painful. It has to hurt because we're going in the wrong direction. We're thinking the wrong things. We need to see what scripture is pointing out. Then it says it also cuts asunder joints and marrows. And I, well, every time I read that, I think about turkey time on Thanksgiving. You ever watch somebody cut the turkey all apart? And here comes all of the bones and here comes all the tendons and you cut all of the, the joints and you get all the pieces the way you want. That knife that you're using to cut up that turkey that's the metaphor you keep in your mind of that penetrating effect of the power of the Word of God and how it's working on you. Wow. See, it turns around the paradigm I had younger in my life. I thought Scripture was something I open up and I work on it so I can study it and understand it. Well, that's not what this passage says. <laughs> this passage says... When I open it up, it's supposed to work on me. Oh, ouch. <laughs> and I first really got a hint of this many years ago. I was preaching a sermon. I got up on Sunday morning. And I said, I really don't want to preach on this passage. It's been too painful for me to deal with it this week. But scripture is supposed to do that. Okay. Now. The third thing is scripture judges. It's We get our English word critique from this word. Able to judge and discern. 
It's describing something that has the ability to critique. So what is it that's critiquing? It is the living word of God that does the critiquing. And here's what's interesting. This idea of critiquing and judging, again, it's only used one time in the New Testament, and it's here. And I, I was thinking about this this week. I don't think it's by mistake that the writer of the book of Hebrews and all the New Testament uses two unique words to talk about the word of God being living and active. Here's what it makes me think, that the word of God living and active, Jesus, God in the spirit, embodying that revelation we call scripture, that is such a unique, mysterious, powerful dynamic that there's only two words that could be used to describe it, and they're not used to describe anything else in the New Testament, and that's on purpose, I think. Wow. So it critiques. What is being critiqued by the word? Are you ready for this? <laughs> you thought the other was painful. Listen to this. The inward thoughts and the moral intentions of the heart. Man, so not just my thoughts, but my motives and intent of heart. That's what scripture does. That's what got Jesus in trouble. I've often said, if he just kept his mouth shut on a lot of things, he'd have never gone to the cross. But you know what he did? His ministry very specifically looked at motives and intent. And that's what got him into trouble. So I'm not surprised that scripture, the word of God, this living, active word of God, that I find out here that part of its intent is to critique the intent and the motives of the heart. Doesn't surprise me. Last of all, I think this is where he, <laughs> I think he saves the icing on the cake for last because this blows my mind. Ready for this? It exposes and lays bare. Now, the word exposed is a word that was used in Paul's day. We get our English word gymnasium from it. And it just means naked. Now, it's not, it's not part of our culture. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, public gymnasium, guys would work out and train in the nude. So guna means naked. We get our English word gymnasium from it, okay? So naked and laid bare. Boy, this idea of laid bare. It was used to talk about combatants in the arena. And when you think about it, in the, in, in the Roman Colosseum, you're fighting, all of a sudden you win against your opponent, you grab him by the neck, or sometimes like by the hair, pull his head back, and you got the sword in the other hand, ready to slice his exposed neck. That's the context out of which this word comes. And oh my goodness. And, and the way it's worded, it means the word has gotten a hold of us and we remain in this vulnerable position of being laid bare. It's as if God and Christ and the spirit and his word has gotten a hold of our hair, of our head, pulled us back, and we are vulnerable and open to what God wants to do for us. I don't know when the last time you thought about opening up scripture and it makes you open and vulnerable before God. That's what it's supposed to do. In Job 25, 6, 
this idea of laying bare is used really interesting context. Job is trembling. This is after all the stuff he went through. He's trembling at the majesty of God, and he makes a comment that the dead are under the waters, and death uncovers a person to be naked in shield. So there was some kind of Jewish understanding in the afterlife. You were naked in shield, and you know, a person that dies was viewed differently from the person that was living. So this bare nakedness and vulnerability before God, Scripture, the living Word of God, can do it like nothing else can do. It even says, not a creature is hidden. It includes all things, all of God's creation. Can't hide from God. Our granddaughter loved to play hide and seek. She could find places to hide. And it, it reminded me of the early narrative in Genesis. You remember after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they tried to hide from God. Can't hide from God, no matter what you do. In fact, the writer goes on to say, it's before you're open and vulnerable before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word there literally is the same word as logos, before the eyes of him who is our word. And this word, word, can also carry the meaning of accountability. He's the one that we have to answer to. So what a fantastic and powerful way to end this paragraph. So the word of God, embodied in Jesus, revealed in scripture, is our discerning word that holds us accountable as Christians. And that word is alive and active. That word of God penetrates. That word of God judges and critiques us. And that word of God exposes. Because of Jesus' function and the power of his resurrection and his present position, Jesus energizes the word of God such that it is discerning and it holds us accountable in our thought world and in our behavior world. So here's the simple question. Are you ready? to accept the living word of God. Are you ready to let it work on you? That's the question. If you need to come to this living word before the presence of Jesus in the company of brothers and sisters in Christ, let's stand and sing number 120 as our invitation. Home.